0: Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Rashad. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So Come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. So guys, welcome to the Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Murchasne. Boy, do we have a special guest for you today? My friend, Brent Gleason, is here to join us. Brent, welcome to the show.
1: What's up, Darius? How you doing, brother?
0: Oh, man, you know, just dealing with some technical difficulties and getting after it.
1: (laughs) It happens. happens.
0: Um, So, guys, I got introduced to to Brent from John Tallinger, a friend of mine uh, in the mortgage industry. And he said, oh, you know, he he sees I I talk to all sorts of folks for the show, as you guys know. And here at The Greatness Machine, we're about people who are living their passions to create greatness in the world. And he's like, you have to, you really have to interview Brent. And I was like, done. So um, without further ado, I wanted to go over a quick bio and uh, then we'll get started with this. Uh, conversation. So, guys, Brent is—you are the first Navy SEAL to be on the show, which I'm really pumped about because the Navy SEALs are all about creating greatness in the world. And uh, Brent is a Navy SEAL combat veteran, serial entrepreneur, best-selling author. He's had two books. His most recent book, book "Embrace the Suck," we're going to ta- be talking about that. And he's an acclaimed speaker on topics ranging from leadership and culture transformation to change management and building high-performance teams. So, without further ado, my man Brent, welcome, my friend.
1: Thanks for having me on the show, man. Excited to be here.
0: Oh man, I, you know, I, I had this thing happen to me. Um, so you want to hear a funny my my funny Navy SEAL story? Oh, absolutely. All right. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, <it's like> that. <laughs> All right, So I go. So my I had a friend of mine. She's from. Uh, she and I traveled the world together when we were in college, and she moved to San Diego from like uh, she grew up outside Scranton, Pennsylvania, and she ends up meeting the, these guys. These two guys who are Navy SEALs in her apartment complex. Mm. And we go out to uh, to PB in San- and I, I was living in Santa Barbara at the time, and I drove down to visit her, and like she and I kind of had like a th- like a little bit of a crush on each other in college, but like nothing really had happened, and and so, um, that's such an awkward story I've never told you it before. It's <laughs> <now. laughs> making me awkward already. <laughs> so so I go down to PB and we just part, we go out partying all night, right? And we we go out party all night, and she and and the guy that lives downstairs, with his Navy SEAL, her and the roommate, come out, and we go and we hang out, and he's in the seals at the, this moment, and I sat there with this him, and I probably talked to him for four hours, and I mean I'm a type of person who will ask you every question, you know, he probably said oh, I was classified to me like eight, eighteen times, you know, like <laughs> he couldn't answer my questions, but he was cool, and I learned all about like buds and just all the the training and. And I, I mean, I, I mean, this is a conversation I had 21 years ago and I still remember it being a really cool conversation. So, you know, one thing led to another and I go back to her house and she, me and, me and my friend, we hook up that night and, 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 but, but nothing comes out of it. I, I end up like, you know, a college th- fling thing. And, and so long story short, I go to DC, I get a job at the white house and I come home, my dad's dying and I go and, and. I come home my father's p- passed away and i and i go down to see her again because she's my friend but at this point she's living with the navy seal it's her boyfriend and- <laughs> <laughs> same, dude. <laughs> same dude right <laughs> so this time he wasn't as friendly with me <laughs> right <Are you> Sure, <laughs> like, like at all <laughs> and he's like cleaning his gun in front of me and <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like polishing grenades. <laughs> and it was, I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, I mean, he wasn't like, you weren't dating her when I hooked up with her. It's like, come on. Like, why are you being mean to me? Anyway, <laughs> they ended up breaking up about a year yeah. later. But but anyway, that, I, 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 <laughs> that was my first and only real interaction with the Navy SEAL. Wow. Share, share with you. <laughs> awesome. Um So man, so anyway i didn't mean to make you make you feel awkward there but i thought it was a funny story um so tell tell <laughs> okay, us
1: yeah, i polishing in my day as well so. yeah <laughs> whatever
0: you want whenever you're like jealous just pull up just start cleaning guns that that's the right. way that's that's <laughs> the way to really to show show some show some authority so yeah. um so man tell us I, you know one of the things i love about um the show is we do origin stories and i'd love to hear your origin story i mean you off the air you were telling a little bit about you know, what you did before you got in the SEALs, but maybe tell us, you know, you grew up in in Dallas, Texas, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. tell us a little bit about, you know, where you're from, how you got to where you got to, and and I'd love to hear the origin story a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely, I um, I grew up in Dallas, uh, did my uh, undergrad education at SMU, Southern Methodist University. Uh, At the time, no real aspirations for joining the military and certainly not the world of special operations. Um, and I'd read a couple books about you know the history of the SEAL teams and things like that uh, just for entertainment value and So I graduated I took a job as a financial analyst uh, for a global firm based out of Dallas uh, now during that time I had you know, I grew up in a family of four I've got a Twin brother just like you do uh, your fraternal twins and my parents still live in Dallas and so, you know, pretty uh, pretty um, normal nice life in Dallas and at SMU, I had a good friend of mine, one of my fraternity brothers, who was a year behind me in school. Now, he was, in fact, one of these young men who had more or less a lifelong dream uh, and, and vision of one day graduating, joining the Navy, and at least at least attempting to be accepted into the notorious SEAL training pipeline. Now, this was just pre-911, so kind of a, obviously a different cultural environment when it comes to uh, military service and the world of special operations. And he and I actually started training together. So for me, I'd been a college athlete. It was just a way to, you know, stay fit, have an accountability partner, but also prepare, you know, help him prepare for his uh, arduous journey that lay before him. And so we started spending so much time together and having a lot of, you know, dialogue about the um, the challenges uh, that uh, and the risk involved in uh, what he was embarking on. And so I started reading more books and reading about the history of the Naval Special Warfare community from. Our forefathers in the underwater demolition teams in World War II, to how we essentially cut our teeth as an elite assault force in Vietnam, and really became fascinated with you know, the culture, um, you know, leadership, uh, the environment uh, that we create as an organization, as essentially a high-performing organization, uh, and you know, the, the values, the behaviors, the rituals that are all designed to achieve a desired outcome on the battlefield. And uh, long story short, that growing fascination coupled with the somewhat boring nature of my entry-level financial analyst position led to the culmination of a decision to be like you know what leave the spreadsheets and pivot tables behind for a little while and you know I joined him on his uh, radical journey of nautical nonsense and interestingly uh, you know went to buds came out here to San Diego obviously and uh, the the training pipeline is, is many many months long. Uh, and it's broken into different segments. The first segment, for I know you know this, but for those watching and listening, is called BUDS. Naturally, it's an acronym. It stands for Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL. It's the first six months of a very long training pipeline. Typically, if you see anything in documentaries or movies, it's a depiction of some parts of BUDS and Hell Week and things like that. Well, we finished. We finished BUDS, and then um, and then we had a few days. Um, you know off before we started advanced training or sqt seal qualification training that's when you really start to learn to hone your craft uh as a naval special warfare operator well 9 11 was uh, one of those three days right between buds and uh, sqt so you know obviously immediate uh, mindset transformation when it comes to the reality of uh, you know of the world of military service for all branches Uh, and military organizations all over the world so um that was kind of an interesting part uh, of that journey and then obviously uh, afghanistan kicked off and then uh, by the time i was at my platoon and did our workup we actually uh were some of the first seals in iraq in april of 03 so that's that's kind of a little bit of the the backstory and then uh, we'll get into other stuff later on
0: but so 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 you um sorry i i that was that was that was a quick jump <laughs> like like so you so you you did. You did. You went when you got into. You decided because you were training with a, a, a fraternity brother, and yeah. you, you made the decision to pull the trigger. Did you do OCS, or did you go straight to Navy and say, "I'm going to go into buds"? Like, how does that even work? Yeah. So we
1: put officer packages together. So officer OCS, officer candidacy school, and ultimately we decided to enlist, uh, like a lot of guys do. It's more of a strategic decision because, um, but, well, basically it comes down to math and risk. Uh, you know, if you have, let's say, Easy Math, you have a class. We run six classes a year, so every couple months we start a new buds class. Well, you're only going to have out of let's say 200 students, you're only going to have uh, a small pocket uh, of uh, places for officers. So, mm-hmm. naval get half of those, and then OCS and um, you know ROTC uh, folks get the other half. So, you have some risk risk there when it comes to not just being accepted because it's very competitive, but also getting into a class as soon as possible. We wanted to get. Two buds as fast as we possibly could, and so what a lot of guys do, and seventy five, I think it's about seventy five percent of our enlisted seals uh, have at minimum an undergrad degree already. Some have master's degrees. Interesting. And, so, and it's also too; it's uh, a lot of guys spend more time in the you know in the in the professional world or the corporate world before coming in. Um, and quite frankly, they have a little bit higher success rate, the older guys do, than the ones that are just right out of high school, coming from mom and dad's house to buds.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a little yeah. bit of a learning curve. No life
1: experience <laughs> whatsoever. Now, granted, some some are successful, and and then you have a very young, experienced operator by the time they've you know, done a couple of platoon cycles in the teams. So yeah, so we, we enlisted, and yeah, the plan worked well. It went you know, two months of whatever it was, something like two months in Great Lakes at boot camp, and then... Did uh, back then we would go to what's called an A school. It's basically learning a trade. So when you fail out of buds, you have a job.
0: <laughs> so, so, so when you when you did um, what percentage? What what is? I, and I don't, I used to know this number. But what percentage of people actually make it through seal like to become a seal from the from start to like uh, what percentage is, is on average? It
1: Varies class to class, but I mean it can be upwards of ten to fifteen percent success rate. So wow. very high. And if you if you think about it too, from start to finish, you have. I forget the exact numbers. You might have a thousand people if you broke up. Okay, six classes a year. We have you know hundreds of thousands of you know um, uh, of people applying to go to Buds. Well, let's say a thousand apply for one class. Only about a couple hundred or two fifty will start with that class, and then only a you know small percentage of those will actually graduate. So if you look at from a big number perspective, it's uh, it's uh, very high
0: attrition rate. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear, uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D A R I U S. Go to Shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius yeah that's 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 insane and so what do you so i mean and i've heard things where people said look there's like olympians in there that are quitting right so this is this is not this is not about physical ability i mean there's obviously a component right. of physical ability you need to meet that bar but a, like 99 percent of this is like mental like it's, yeah. ability it's
1: a fascinatingly level playing field i mean it doesn't matter if you were a college track star or an olympic swimmer or you know We've got guys sometimes who've never seen the ocean before, and they show up at Bucks and are successful and, and, or never been a competitive swimmer, and yet they're towards the head of the pack, and these two-mile ocean swims because they learn to kick the fins properly. I, you know, it's, it's just one of those things when it comes down to – I mean, granted, I will say you absolutely have to show up in peak physical condition. You have to have trained, um, and we have more resources now than ever from books to you know, online resources to – Uh, They have pre-Buds now where these guys will go from literally from boot camp to a strength training program. uh, They're in Great Lakes and then they'll go to Buds. So they're very well prepared, but we still graduate (laughs) about the same amount each class.
0: Right.
1: Because we've actually, being at war for 20 years, we've been trying to tweak the model uh, to see, you know, what can we do? Think about it as a sales funnel. That's always my analogy. Yeah, yeah close more deals we need to graduate more guys and get them into the teams yet so we need better leads in the top of the funnel and we have to do that one of the things we've done and this was obviously as you can imagine um you know a big conversation within the NSW community as far as do we lift that veil of secrecy? Do we let people know more about our community and who we are and what we actually do? And ultimately, the answer was there was some grumbling involved, but the answer was, well, we have to. We have to showcase who we are as an organization so we can improve our talent acquisition strategies and we can get more really, really great guys into the program and then hopefully graduate larger classes. so that's why, you know, movies like Active Valor and there was, you know, there were active duty seals in that movie and, um, the, uh, and DOD, you know, allowing more books and movies and, 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 things like that. So that, um, you know, these, these young folks can understand who we are as a community and, uh, um, uh, and be well-prepared uh, when they show up.
0: Yeah. That, and that, I mean, it makes sense, right? It's one of those things where I, I could see both sides of it, which is one side's that, Hey, this is kind of a secret force. We don't want our, and if, if it's public information, then then people that maybe could use it against, you know, to, to, to try to defend yeah. against it. But then the other side of that's like, yeah, there's a 15% graduation rate for a reason, <laughs> you know, because yeah. this is gnarly.
1: <laughs> well, and, and that's just the beginning. I mean, you, you people think that SEALs are just always downrange, taking the fight to the enemy, but we spend 90% of our time training, like constantly yeah. training in a constant state of professional and personal development. And, and the other small percentage of time actually going out and operating and doing missions and things like that. So it's, the job is, is it's people are like, oh, buds and hell week and all that stuff. It's, that's That sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, The job itself is, is hard.
0: What, what, so when you, when you finished, what did you specialize in? What part of, of the steel? What did, I know you get a job. What was your job?
1: Well, it's you don't necessarily have certain specialties. It depends on what schools you apply for and what schools you, you, you know, sometimes it's first come first serve or you're,
0: you know, you want to go to breacher
1: school you want to go to sniper school or these really cool off-road driving schools. It just kind of depends on what schools you get each, each platoon cycle. So we have a, a long period of uh, pro dev or professional development. Uh, that's one of the things that, you know, my company we're a leadership and organizational development consulting firm. And one of the points we make to our clients is look at the highest performing organizations out there, whether it's business, sports, military, whatever, Constant training, and therefore they're investing a lot of time and resources and money in developing their talent. Right. So that's really what you spend the majority of your time doing is in professional development, going to all these different schools. Um, you know, so I've gone from everything from language schools to you know how to fix a boat motor to a Humvee to uh, <laughs> breaching to you know to everything you could possibly imagine. So,
0: so and so, how long were you uh, in in the military for? When did you leave?
1: Uh, I got out in 06. Okay. So I wasn't, I wasn't in that long. And it's, um, I had some, we won't dive down that rabbit hole, but I had some family <laughs> matters that required my, unfortunately, my full attention um, at the time. But uh, it, it's kind of interesting in hindsight looking back, you know, at, we're all like, well, these conflicts can't possibly go on, <laughs> you know, for very long. Cause historically, you know, things, you know, like the Gulf War and things like that, you know, uh, ended quickly and here we are 20 years at war so i you know figured i would get in and then see if i wanted to do it as a career and leave that open to uh, a decision at that time uh but yeah you know, I, I moved on and went to grad school and uh then dove headfirst into the world of entrepreneurship which has about a similar failure
0: rate <laughs> so yeah it
1: yeah means i developed a taste for calculated risk
0: yeah yeah I, I, and it's it's funny when you say that when you start to look at the numbers around entrepreneurial success at certain levels, right? To build a million dollar business versus a $10 million business versus a $100 million business. You know, the, the, the failure is imminent, right? More more or less. Yeah. Um, it's very rare that you see businesses that make it um, even past five years, right? So, so to your point, uh, when you go look at these companies though, are they doing the the, are they doing business as usual which is just like basically reacting or are they actually being proactive and doing the type of stuff you're talking about
1: that's always been you know something that i've found to be somewhat curious is you know, you're always going to have. I call them micro failures. There so are obstacles, roadblocks, whatever they're going to be. Uh, you know, my first business was a real estate you know, home search engine, like a Trulia, Zillow type thing. And we built that. We raised a couple million bucks and built it up real quick right before the housing market imploded. Yeah. So, so, you know, <laughs> my point is. <laughs> There's not to overuse this term because we've all been using it a lot over the past 14 months. But, you know, there's there's pivoting, there's adapting, there's taking key learning and saying, what other revenue streams can we create from this? What are the possible business opportunities can we create from this? Do we tweak this whole business model altogether? Do we throw it out and start start new? Um, you know, but I've never I found it challenging to understand when when entrepreneurs or business leaders get to a point uh, where they just literally have to close the door, <laughs> you know, where they have, you know, obviously no cash reserves, not enough capital, or or they're burning too lean for whatever reason, where they hit a hit a wall so quickly that they literally just have to shut the doors. Um, mm-hmm. Luckily, you know, I've been blessed and have not had to be in those situations. But to to that point, you know, very uh, challenging situations like COVID. I run a leadership development company that involves a lot of speaking, a lot of in person training. That all went away.
0: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> so we're like oh here we are again in a situation but again uh, a lot of organizations out there as you've seen are coming out of this a lot more resilient uh sometimes some are more profitable some have recapitalized their entire organizations uh they've rethought you know their talent needs their office space needs you know how they approach their workforce how they engage with their customers so you know adversity breeds innovation and so that's just the way that entrepreneurs need to think about it is not just say, well, well we'll cross that bridge and we get there but Expect it to happen. So be ready.
0: Totally, yeah, I, I call it the one inch away from the nose mentality. You wait till your <laughs> your, your nose hits the wall. Or are you going to try to get ready ready for it a hundred yards away? Right. And so um, you don't know this about me, but I'm I'm a hardcore entrepreneur. Um, yeah. You know, I built a couple nine figure companies from the ground up, and I've had uh, businesses fully implode. My, my first yeah. business was number forty in the Inc. 500,
1: yeah.
0: and and yeah, for, forty fastest growing company in the United States. And when I was at that. When I was at the Inc. 5000, 5, then yeah. Inc. 5000 conference to get my award. Maybe we were I, there
1: together. I don't know. <laughs> you know. I was
0: in, it was in, in September of 07. Yeah. I was there. And when that happened, I was literally laying off 90% of my staff and then yeah. went out of business two years later because yeah. I was a subprime mortgage lender, which wasn't a good place to be. You know? <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, to your point, you live and learn, but so you got, so that's pretty cool. So you get, so you got out of the military and then you ended up in the world of entrepreneurship. Um, and obviously since then have written books so tell us a li- uh, tell us about the businesses and, you know, yeah. what was your first entrepreneurial business and how did that lead to where you're at right now? Uh,
1: entrepreneurship, similar to the military, was not actually part of the plan. Uh, my transition strategy was graduate school. So going back to school, having that time to network, learn some new things, retrain my brain towards business. And, you know, with the thought that I possibly get back into the world of finance or possibly real estate development, that was kind of more of the route I was uh, originally envisioning. And, you know, the story is very cliche. I met my former business partner in grad school (laughs) and one of our projects uh, for our uh, finance uh, class Turned into the foundation of our first, uh, the business plan for our first company, which was a home finding search engine. So we wanted to find some. There wasn't the level of technology like the Zillow's and Trulia's, those came out shortly thereafter. Um, so there was, you know, some white space there that we would capitalize on the 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 non bubble of the housing market. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we we're like, this is genius. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and our even, I remember one of our economics professors was like, guys. And she was an academic, so right, like, you know, what she's yeah. talking about. What are do you know? You're doing this? You know, <laughs> well, she's right. And uh, you know, we, we you know, it, it took off obviously not because of our entrepreneurial genius, but because people were throwing any and all marketing dollars at uh, lead generation for for selling homes, and because like. You know, their f- homes are just flying off the shelf, and uh, home prices keep going up. Or kind of in a weird position like that. Seems like yeah. Right now. I'm
0: like, I'm like, sounds yeah. like now it feels very familiar. <laughs> I've seen this movie before. Yeah, I will, I will, I will, I will say this though: the, the financing yeah. around these houses is different this time. Because yeah, because that was that was a really and, and 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 I mean, I will truly say that I I don't think it'll end the same way unless you have a huge change in in um, work right. in, in people's uh, employment. That that would be the one thing that I could see it changing. But anyway, yeah, sorry. I yeah,
1: 100 percent agree with you. So what we did, kind of going back to what we were talking about before, is like a, a radical pivot. Was you know we didn't just walk away from that business when you know 08 into 09, as you recall. Was, yeah, things were bad, but um, you know it wasn't. It didn't just implode. You know, automatically. We we you know kept running it. Kept trying to get creative with the revenue streams. And one of the things we did is we had learned so much about. Digital media analytics, digital marketing, just to run that business and drive traffic to the site, and search engine optimization, and, and paid media, things like that. That, you know, we thought, you know, well, maybe there's an opportunity, opportunity, excuse me, uh, in the <coughs> digital marketing space. And originally, it was going to be an alternative revenue stream because some of our clients were home builders or real estate marketing agencies who so were saying, well. Uh, can you guys build us a website as well? Or do you guys do social media strategy? Or what are, What other things do you guys do, if anything? And so we decided the answer, like all entrepreneurs, we're like, yes, Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. we do that. All right, go find out. Yeah. A- yeah. a-
0: yeah. a- what, what else do we, do we do it all?
1: Hot <laughs> air balloon? Can I give you a hot air balloon?
0: <laughs> so we're like, well, what's yeah, your dog?
1: Do That's so hell yeah, we do all that. <laughs> and you know the drill. And so... We what was going to just be an alternative revenue stream to that business um, took off so what we did was we uh, We we kept it internal at first within the same legal entity and then we were like, you know what? This is a business all by itself and it needs to be approached as a business all by itself So we borrowed step one was borrow $100,000 from this business Start a new legal entity and, and a whole new brand and a new new company. We gave those Uh, shareholders you know our investors in that first business equal common stock shares in the new company Mm -hmm. and and so because you know we're essentially using their money or that money to start a new business so deemed somewhat of a a, a legal you know or corporate opportunity and so and it was the right thing to do anyway so and so that business slowed we started to shift a, a lot of our attention to this new business but it kept you know running for years And the other one just took off. I mean, it was, we were tripling in size, both in revenue and headcount every year. Um, At a certain degree growing a little, maybe a little too fast, but we, we, uh, we had really good, a good board of directors, good advisors uh, that helped us kind of navigate intelligent growth (laughs) as opposed to just grow for the sake of growing. And uh, I sold that business uh, in August, 2016. So we had a good, good run and it, um, there were the there was an opportunity uh, for an exit there. It uh, full transparency, it wasn't the exit we had originally anticipated. Like all entrepreneurs, this you know, ten x crazy uh, type of situation. But it was a healthy exit. It was great for the business. It was great for the employees. It was great for the acquisition partner. And also, my business partner and I had kind of started to um, you know grow apart uh, as 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 business partners, and you know marriages <laughs> I don't know if all do and just very different leadership and management styles but also just a, a pretty vast difference in in vision uh, of where to take the business and if the two senior people have a vastly different vision of where to take the business it's gonna stop yeah. <laughs> and I, it, it won't fail necessarily but you're not gonna get to the next level of so it was time to, it was time to uh, do that exit and I had some other passions and opportunities and things that I really wanted to pursue. So the timing was, was good.
0: Oh man, that's I, I I love I love those stories because, you know what's funny is when you get into entrepreneurship you you kind of assume that ending to your point. There's that that oh we're gonna be we're, we're rich. We're just gonna you know we're gonna I'm gonna be flying on private jets and you know and excuse me like Mark Zuckerberg you know like that, that's but 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 then the, the people forget the ten year part. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. but, hey, uh what about the decade of getting crushed and like you know, you you have highs, highs and low lows, but it's hard, yeah. you know, like doing yeah. what you just did. Like most people don't do that. That's un- I that's thought entrepreneurs
1: build their business and exit in five years and then do it again and again. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, very yeah.
1: cliché. And we also usually, usually, I mean, you, there are those stories, but that's usually not what happens.
0: Yeah, it's. It, it, I mean, it, to your point, and I, I just exited my company l- l- about a year ago, and it was. And it was, I'm like, you just told me my story to myself, right? Which is, yeah. it wasn't what you, I thought it would be, but it's good enough. And and then you're transitioning, which is its own thing, you know? So it's, yeah, it's interesting. So I want to hear about the transition. So now, is that, uh, is this now uh, Brent 2.0 where you're doing the leadership work?
1: Yeah. So one of the things, and I'm sure you, you know, share a similar interest in, in being a successful entrepreneur is one of the things I found a passion for wasn't necessarily uh, the, um, uh, the industries that those businesses were in, but of building something great of you know building a great culture having a great vision, great people practices and developing awesome talent and highly engaged people doing cool stuff
0: yeah. and
1: happy customers getting cool stuff because of the great people doing awesome work and and, and so leadership and culture and, and engagement strategies and finding ways to build, you know my own version of high-performing teams, and drawing from some of the you know leadership, culture, and behavior uh, principles that that forge the world of elite special operations, and saying you know what can we draw from those fundamental principles in building high-functioning teams and organizations out here in the business world that deliver desired results and business outcomes. And so, my first, my my next transition strategy was step one was to actually write uh, my first book, Taking Point. And, you know, like some authors do kind of in the space, the book was meant to be uh, the foundation of many of our leadership and uh, organizational transformation uh, principles and fundamentals. So, and it was a good exercise for me to really take the time to do the research and study. It was like writing a 300 page dissertation on change management yeah. <laughs> and take, you know, you know, more of like the Navy SEAL version of John Cotter, like what we, you know, special operations mixed with, you know, leading change uh, principles and, you know, drawing from many of the mistakes that I had made and uh, some of the small successes that I'd had or mainly the things that I learned in building the first two companies and saying, you know, what could we build here? And so that book, Taking Point, was the foundation of my company now, which is Taking Point Leadership. So we're, you know, full service leadership, organizational development, consulting firm. So
0: and so, and so, you guys, right now, you're working with um, companies that are essentially your clients. Come to you, you're working with the leadership teams, the C level. Uh, kind of walk us t- walk us through what what does a typical client engagement look like?
1: A typical client engagement for us, we work typically with you know your medium, I know medium sized businesses, a, a vast you know arena, but medium to enterprise level organizations. So our ideal clients are either clients who have now finally realized that they need to do a better job of developing their talent and their people practices and, and building leaders at every level in their organization. So they're either right at the beginning of their journey, but they've fully committed that they're going to invest the time, resources, and money into being a training organization, so to speak. Yeah. Or we, we partner with organizations that you know have been doing that for years or they use you know different types of, of strategic partners like us. And so they get it, they invest in it already and they but they just you know they continue to grow and you know bring in new uh, new talent or they're bringing talent and leaders and managers up throughout the ranks so they need they need training. So, you know, sometimes our our engagements will start with something as simple as me being a keynote speaker at an event and that turns into uh, something more. You know, so it's you know multi-month, multi-year development programs for we do we do encourage them to involve C-level in these larger programs, but typically we're engaging with uh, the mid layer of managers because you know as you know they're touching the vast majority of the organization as opposed to just developing leaders up here at the top or in one business unit over here we might work obviously with you know we're working with this cohort of sales leaders then we're working with research and development or now we're working with the ops team so obviously we're not always doing the training with everybody all at the same time and usually working with you know 15 to 20 uh, sized, you know, person cohorts uh, that, that are going through that training, but organizations who want to create alignment when it comes to leadership. They want to create uh, behavioral norms. They want to have, uh, you know, a common thread when it comes to language and how they communicate and what their, you know, what their culture looks like and how to integrate all that into building better leaders. And their you know, looking at their high potential leaders and managers in the organization and having some type of uh, ongoing program that they'll always bring their people through.
0: And so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna selfishly ask you a question right now. So I wrote a book um, called The Core Value Equation, which man, yeah. the, the premise of the book is that core values have the opportunity to become the language of the organization, and yeah. that core values are the fundamental beliefs of an organization. What is your What are your thoughts on that?
1: Couldn't Couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's uh, you know I write a lot about uh, core values in my first book, and I wrote them in my second book too, when it relates to individual core values or your family core values. Yeah to your point they really ideally in a high-performing organization the core values are authentic they're talked about all the time they're used from everything from attracting and acquiring great talent to onboarding to training to the decisions we make to how we lead and engage our team to the customers and clients we engage with Totally, i'm sure you've seen that there's a there's a good question is and i bet i I bet i know your answer is probably the same as mine is anytime i've ever uh engaged with a client or customer in any of my businesses It had that did not share similar values, or the 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 purpose behind the relationship was was um, inauthentic. Those relationships never last, and they end up costing you money. (laughs) Well, their budget is really big, but they're a bunch of assholes. But let's engage with them anyway because they have a huge budget. Well, the relationship's going to last three months. They they eat away at your utilization and your emotion and your time, and therefore you realize, oh shit, we just lost a ton of money. Totally. (laughs) Core values are they are. And it's funny; it's a good question because you know most organizational leaders are under Oh yeah, yeah, core values got
0: them. we got them, we got them. The
1: what are they're they? They're on the wall in the conference room, remember? Yeah.
0: yeah. And nobody they, in the organization
1: sir? can articulate what they are. The leaders themselves can't really explain how those core values drive every aspect of the business, or how they even drive their financial outcomes or their results that they're trying to achieve. Right. Um, so they, you know, we check the box, but hey, we have the core values, but. They don't get ingrained into anything, the organization does.
0: Yeah, it's 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 pretty funny. <laughs> I do the I do this activity with people where I and this happened to me. I I did this uh, entrepreneurial leadership program uh, through EO called uh, it used to be okay. called birthing of giants. Yes.
1: Uh,
0: so and I graduated in 08 from it, and and the last day of cl- of our class, we did a peer to peer workshop, and they said stand up if your company has core values. Everyone stands up. So, no, mind you, this is a uh, scaling up. Was the uh, Vern Harnish was this is his program? So yeah. I don't know if you know Vern, but yeah. um, this. Is, so then they go, "Please stay standing if you say your core values off the top of your head." Half the room sits down, and I was in that half. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then they said, "Please stay," and we're all the CEOs of the companies, like we're the ones that created them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please stay yeah. standing yeah. If your employees know the core values, half the remaining half sits down. Yeah. We stay standing if your customers know your core values. Everyone's sitting down. Yeah. And for me, that was a pivotal moment in my life. It made me realize that the, this is kind of weird. You know, th- this is such an important thing. Why would it not be to your point, all the things you're describing, that's what you want to create. And, but it's a bit of a black box, because I think to your point, people say they, they have them. and then And then intuitively, they know that it's important. So they do it kind of passively. But they're not intentional yeah. about it. They're not training to it. They're not doing, yeah. they're not working with someone like you and your team to build it so where where it becomes the language of the organization. Yeah. And I mean,
1: it's it's good to it's good to even like we're even doing this, you know, in our next team uh, strategy planning day. We're even gonna go back and revisit our mission, vision, and value statements to see, you know, are these still authentic? Are they still are they really driving what we're what we're trying to do? And if the answer is yes, these are still authentic, this sounds right. Okay, well, maybe we need to tweak some things as far as, you know, the what <laughs> of where we spend our time, the activities we're engaging in, uh, how we think about short and long term goals for the organization. You know, assuming that these values are authentic, they still really speak to who we are as an organization and who we want to become. Uh, because people think, well, values, you can't ever change the values. Well, I mean, sometimes as an organization evolves, we do need to go back and revisit the mission or the values, or or also depending upon how and when they were created and by who,
2: <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, by one person by themselves with no, you know, no input from anybody else. Sometimes that you know that was that was just checking the box and doesn't really drive what the organization is all
0: about. Yeah, they'll age out a little bit, right? Because the yeah. orga- if core values, I have a buddy who's a performance coach named Robert Ellis. and He says core values are the essence of the organization, and Vern says they're a personality of the organization. So if yeah. you did them in a in a vacuum by yourself. You know, like, yeah, and now you got 30 employees or 10 employees or whatever. The, the, you know, you have a bunch of different personalities that weren't, weren't there before. And how much input do they have, right? Yeah. How much are they driving the culture of the business? So, yeah, I fully agree with you. I I, I used to say they could never change. And but but I kind of since changed. well, I used to say the same thing
1: too like, that was a fundamental, like, you learn about oh, values, are the values you can't change the values. Well. Or you can at least change the narrative around what those values mean to the organization as it grows, as it evolves. That's one thing that we take our clients through is like, okay, you have your core values. Great. Well, let's take it two layers deeper. You know, let's say one of your core values is integrity. Just use some simple cliche core value. What are the supporting behaviors that we can clearly define and articulate as they relate to how we think about integrity in this organization? How do we measure it? You know, anything important, as you know, it's got to be managed and measured, even a core value. So what are those specific behaviors we expect of ourselves and others that we, can, that we can measure and that we can reward and that we can make sure we don't tolerate anything outside of that, that realm? And then the third layer is great. OK, what are the accountability mechanisms? How are we going to ensure that we're holding ourselves and each other? to these supporting behaviors to ensure that integrity is an authentic core value in the organization. So really getting like granular and specific with it, I'm sure you probably talk about that in the book, which I'm definitely gonna buy because I love that stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's it's so interesting. And I, I man, I'm so bummed we're out of time. I wanted to talk to you more about this stuff, but uh, maybe we'll have to do a 2.0. Um, so, you know, I, I think that it's to your point is you're taking something that is intangible and you're making it tangible. Yeah and you're saying hey if this was anything else in your business you would be doing these things you're you're creating KPIs around it you're you right. you get what you tolerate you're measuring things that are important to you you're you're doing things to produce value in the business right yeah. What did you return on the investment of the of, of into this? I call it a cultural asset. Yeah. You know, and so I love everything. I mean, I'm like, yes, we we agree on everything. <laughs> I knew we knew. you are smart, man. I don't know. <laughs> you're one smart dude. Um Just trying to be more like you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, look, I know I know we're out of time here, but but you know, uh, I really do mean it. I, I would love to, for us to maybe do a 2.0 if, if you're up for it. Absolutely. Uh, um, and we can, and maybe we'll try to square away more time because as I really want to dive more into what you, the work you guys are doing. And I think that, you know, given your military background, I'd love to kind of see how those those two worlds have collided and and how that influences work. Cause I'll tell you this, you know, I I, I work with high high growth companies. And a lot of the times I, I'll, I'll ask, uh, when I ask their teams the question, have you ever worked at a company that had core values before? A lot of people raise their hands and then I'll say, can any of you recite what they are? The only people that can are people that when they're referring to the military and they're, they're referring to remembering the military about the values they learned in the military. And I'm like, that is an example of an organization that understands this. And why? Because lives are at stake with them. Like if I screw up your hamburger at my restaurant, it's not like the the end results not that, not necessarily as as dire. Right. So I I think that 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 kind of points to, the, that's a that's a conversation for another time, but but I it I is really-
1: it's one, one quick thing on that the, the so we have the you know in in the, the seal teams we have the navy seal ethos it's kind of like our mission vision values culture manifesto all wrapped up into a nice beautiful one page uh, you know five paragraphs whatever what have you and but you think well seal teams were commissioned back in the early 60s. so obviously we launched right into who we are with the navy seal ethos we didn't create the seal ethos until two thousand five really. <laughs> Well, yeah, and the interesting thing is we, you know, post 9-11, we'd been moving at the speed of war for four years and realized the powers that be realized like we don't really have anything at all other than a few catchphrases here and there that you see on the wall of a couple of bars in Coronado. We don't have anything that documents who we are as an organization, who we want to bring into our organization, how we measure our behavior and the way we think, the way we lead, the way we behave on the battlefield. And so it was very corporate thing. They did a leadership offsite event at Gomez Island with, uh, you know, a, a cross section of, of, NSW leaders. And that's where the seal ethos, uh, came from. And it really does drive and clearly define not just the values and the culture, but you know, how we measure it and how we can point like to, to you said, very, in a very tangible way. These are the very specific behaviors we expect of
0: each other. Oh man. I, I love it. I want to, if I Google that, will that, can I find that online? Oh yeah. Yeah, oh, it's 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 really powerful. Now, now again,
1: now again. <laughs> As we build our own multi generational workforce in the SEAL teams, some of the younger generations have now. They're saying, "Well, I don't really connect with that. It's too long, or it's too much, or so <laughs> you can't please everybody." There's, but uh,
0: yeah, no, screw, <laughs> screw, screw the young, kids. the millennials can go pound sand.
1: Well, yeah, newsflash: we have millennials
0: in the SEAL teams now. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. That's what they can. Okay, it was bound to, to happen. <laughs> Gen Y, you can go pound sand too. Yeah, friend, um, this is so fun, man. Um, I'd love for you to maybe like give us uh where can people find you um just give us the lowdown we're going to put it all in the show notes and we'll get we'll get this wrapped up
1: cool man yeah our company website's takingpointleadership.com. uh you can check out the new book obviously on any uh, online retailers any uh, brick and mortar retailers amazon is obviously a great place to find it again the title is embrace the suck the navy seal way to an extraordinary life and it's got a gut punch of a forward by my friend and former teammate david goggins whom i'm sure uh, many of your viewers and listeners know who he is so
0: <laughs> nice nice yeah no, know G- goggins uh, he, his scribe was his his publisher for his book so they uh, the, the, his book yeah. that came out So and, and I, I did my book through those guys but yeah goggins is i haven't read his book but i've heard good things about it and that's awesome that, that he's supporting your book um brent man 40 minutes flew by faster than it should have yeah. that, that was he's amazing dying. um <laughs> I, i'm serious i'd love to have you back for 2.0 we'll go deeper on, on the book and 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 the work you're doing um guys what a treat Brent, just like dropping knowledge and you know changing the world in such an amazing way through entrepreneurship, through the military, and now through his leadership work. And so grateful to have you here, my friend, and looking forward to next time.
1: Can't wait, brother. Talk All soon, right. man.
0: Peace out. Yeah. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on